talked about prayer, and so uh, that's what I'll do, because there's a passage in Ephesians 2 that I think is particularly interesting on the subject of prayer. You got some uh, Bibles to pass out? <laughs> what flavor Bible do y'all use, anyway? ESV. Okay. Well, that may be good to know, because I don't have a scripture sheet today, and uh, we'll see how, uh, you know, it's always interesting in Bible studies nowadays. Some of you remember the days when everybody used the King James. Those were simple days in a way. We didn't always understand what we were reading, but we all were reading the same thing. And uh, then when I got in the Presbyterian church, everybody in the church used the New American Standard, so, except for the few King James holdovers. But now, in any given church, you've got seven or eight different versions going at any one time. Um, tell you what, to speed things up, I'm going to assign some uh, scriptures to be read later on in my study. I'm going to ask somebody to look them up and be ready to read them when the time comes. First uh, Timothy 2.5, who'll get that for me? Beth, would you get that? First Timothy 2.5. Uh, Galatians 4.6, you get that, Zach? Yep. All right, uh, Romans 8.26, who wants to get that for me? Thank you, Mariel. Uh, and First uh, Peter 3.18, volunteering? Good, First Peter 3.18. Hebrews 10, I'll read the latter, last one there. All right, so when the time comes, I'll call on you. It might be a few minutes. Uh, we're going to read from verse 13 to verse 18 this time of Ephesians 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. We'll stop there. (laughs) Any uh, retired English teachers here? Or present English teachers? You're an English teacher. You're a homeschool mom. Uh, so I know you're teaching some English there. No, uh, but uh, pastors are oftentimes afraid of retired English teachers or functioning English teachers uh, because they might mess up their grammar in some way. I've never been terribly afraid because I had Miss Starrett for sixth grade English. And Miss Starrett was 48 pounds and said she'd rather teach English grammar than eat, and you could tell it by the way she looked. And she had us working out of college English textbooks by the time we were done with sixth grade. So I, I learned my English grammar, I did, uh, <coughs> back in the day. And she taught us how to diagramming sentences. Remember diagramming sentences? And I, you enjoyed it? Well, you're part of the club weird with me because uh, I kind of enjoy diagramming sentences. But my kids, who were homeschooled, we uh, worked on that stuff with them. They weren't as particularly fond of it as I was. But I do want to uh, look at a, di- at a diagram sentence, uh, verse 18, for me, uh, for us. Uh, read, the, read the ESV for me there, Glenn. What does the ESV say there? Okay, pretty much the same as my New American Standard translation, so no breakdown there. <laughs> All right, let's uh, diagram that sentence. What is our subject in verse 18? We, we is the subject, or we both would be the subject. What is our verb? Have, well, not access yet. You're jumping in. Have is the verb. 
and then the direct object would be access. Okay, and really, probably the key word, if I have to, to nail down one in that verse, would be that direct object noun, access there. Access is a critical issue in the scriptures. You go all the way back to Genesis. What happened in Genesis 3? Something got shut down. What was it? Access. <laughs> okay. Remember, uh, God gave Adam and Eve the left foot of fellowship. And then, then, remember, then remember what he did? He had that, it's not a passage I've ever heard preached on much, but remember that uh, flaming sword? Yeah, what is that about? But it, it represented the prohibition of Access. Now, of course, it wasn't really access to the garden that that was about, a physical place. It was access to the presence and the blessing of God that was represented there, that man's sin denied him that. And then, of course, as Christ comes and at Calvary, part of the experience there on the day that Christ died was that veil in the temple was rent in two. And again, that was meant to communicate that something significant had happened with the, uh, as it pertains to our access to God uh, the Father. Okay. Where are we? we are right here in, in Ephesians 2 again. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we'll catch you up later. We, we're just diagramming sentences right now. Really hadn't done any Bible teaching. <laughs> Something like that. Um, now, what, the rest of the passage, we've got uh, the, the subject, we both, the verb have, the direct object, access. The rest of that verse contains uh, three prepositions. Okay, that's all that's left, three prepositions. And it's interesting because the three prepositions uh, all have to do with the three persons of the Godhead. This is a Trinitarian text. Do you see it? Okay. Now, you know, there's a sense in which I could say, and I might scare you if I say this, the doctrine of the Trinity is not taught in the Bible. Now, in a way, that's true. In a way, it's not. It's, there's, not really a Trinitary, there's not really a Trinity chapter in which God explains it all to us. But we see what it says about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And to try to make sense of all that, we have this concept called the Trinity. But there are verses in the New Testament where we do see the Trinity sort of exploding off the page if you're paying attention to it. Can you think of any Trinitarian verses in the New Testament that speak of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Okay, you're talking about the baptism of Jesus? Very good. So there the Father spoke, the Son was obviously being baptized, the Spirit descended like a dove. Very good. Think of any others. <laughs> what about the Great Commission? You know, Jesus saying, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you have the three persons of the Trinity mentioned there. Uh, how about my uh, benediction this morning? From 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace, of the, <laughs> the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit uh, be with you. Genesis chapter 2. Be with you all. We will make man in our image. Correct. Uh, it's a little more obscure because he doesn't mention all three personalities. But those passages in the New Testament do. Absolutely. There's, there you get the sense of plurality at least. Well, here's another one. Uh, that, that mentions all three persons of the Trinity. And I want to break this down and look at how what they say about access and what that has to say to us about prayer. First of all, the first preposition, through him. The him would be who? 
This would be Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Through Him, through Jesus, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So Jesus is the way of access. And you know this, John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, again, that presents a pro- that, that there's sort of an issue about coming to the Father. And, of course, there is. So much of popular religion fails to recognize that. There's a problem about coming to God. You don't just come to God willy-nilly. There's a barrier that has been erected because of our sin. Ephesians uh, 2, verses 12 to 14 mention it several times. Remember, you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers. Those are all barrier words. The next verse, now in Christ you who formerly were for off. Again, barriers. Uh, verse 14, he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. At least that's how the NAS translates that, barrier. So there's that barrier that we talked about in the garden, the flaming swords and so forth. Uh, and it says Jesus somehow gives us access to this God again. How does he give us access? Well, two ways. One is by his death, which brought to pass this atonement, this dealing with the problem of our sin, which, of course, was that which caused the separation between us and God. If you've been in church very long at all, you've gotten a lot of teaching on that. You understand that. The second way that Jesus gives us access is by his present life, because now he lives to do what? To intercede, to make intercession for us. We speak of Jesus being our mediator, our intercessor, the one who comes between us and the Father and gives us access to God. And we express that in prayer every time we pray in His name. Why do we do that? Why do we pray in Jesus' name? Is it just a way to alert everybody that the prayer is almost over now? <laughs> uh, no. It's not a magic formula that somehow, you know, it's like, I used to have a neighbor that crossed her fingers and go, I pray to God and knock on wood as she did it. You're like, well, that's, a, that's some kind of religion. Your fingers crossed, knock on wood, bring God in there, and Mary too maybe a little bit. Uh, but uh, why do we pray in his name? It's to recognize that he is our access, that he is our mediator, that it is through his righteousness, his worthiness, that we find ourselves able to to gain the ear of the God who is in heaven. Uh, And if Jesus is the way by which we have access to the Father, who is not the way? Well, of course, everything and everyone else would not be the way, but I'm thinking specifically of a couple of things. One would be the saints, which might include Mary, and I'm thinking here of the Roman Catholic religiosity, of course. 1 Timothy 2.5, Beth, says... Okay, there's one God and one mediator. Only one mediator. Of course, you're familiar with Catholic religion where the saints get involved in this and Mary and... You know, I hear all kinds of strange explanations about it. God is so austere and distant, and I can relate better to Mary uh, or, or something of that nature. And, and it, misses, it misses totally the whole idea of what Jesus is intended to be for his people as the one mediator. The, the second thing I would say, though, if Jesus is the way we have access to God, you're not. 
You are not the way. What I mean to say here, it is, it is not by you performing for the Father, by your meritorious efforts and deeds that you gain access to God. Some people, you sort of see folks on both ends of the spectrum. There are some people who are oblivious to God's holiness and think they can just sort of, you know, run into God's presence anytime they want. No questions asked, no conditions, no concerns. God's just a good grandpa in the sky sort of mentality. Others fail to recognize, and they're mistaken, others fail to recognize the love of God and therefore don't even seek to draw near at all because he's not really perceived as a God who's very attractive or desirable to me. <laughs> well, that, and so you would certainly stay away too if you think you're in line to receive some of that vengeance. So what determines our boldness to come to the Lord in prayer? Well, again, is it I've been good today? I've had a really good week. I stayed on my diet. I had devotions with my kids. I read my Bible every day. I didn't cuss one time. I bet I'm going to be effective in prayer today. Well, no, that's not how Scripture would have us think of it. Uh, The other means by which we come to God with boldness is to understand that we come through Christ. It is through His mediation and His righteousness, His intercession. How you did today in obeying the Lord or not, that may determine what you say when you come to the Lord, but it need not keep you from Him or bring you to Him. We come through Christ our mediator. All right. Well, that's our first, the first of our three prepositions. The way of access through him, that is Jesus. The second, the power of access. It says in our text that we come, uh, we have one spirit, or we have access in one spirit. The NIV, does anybody have the NIV? <laughs> What's it say? Now, it doesn't say in one spirit. It says by one spirit. You see, the, the, the Greek preposition in, which is epsilon nu, uh, can be translated in or it can be translated by, depending on its usage. And I think the NIV is, is, is doing well for us there by translating it by. How does the ESV do it? Is it in or by? This is for Ephesians 2.18. We have our access in one spirit or by one spirit. What was it? In one spirit. Okay. I mean, that's fine, but I believe the, the point is that it's by one Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit moves us towards God. Uh, remember, we talked about the barrier between us and God. And how does that barrier get removed? Well, Christ Jesus comes. He removes the, main, the, the major barrier for God, which is our sinfulness, so that God now is open to our approaching Him. But then there's the barrier within us. We have no particular spiritual interest. We're dead in trespasses and sins. Someone's got to address the barrier that exists within us. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. We must, uh, Jesus, Jesus becomes the door, but we have to walk through the door. And it's the Spirit that, that sort of leads us in that direction. So the Holy Spirit does three things to give us access. Number one, He quickens us, gives us spiritual life. Secondly, He gives us this desire to commune with God. Galatians 4, 6. That's you, Zach? And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You hear that? The spirit comes 
And, and what he does in us is he has us crying, Abba, Father. Now, of course, you know, you've heard this before. I'm sure that Abba is sort of the Aramaic equivalent of Daddy. And if you're a father, you know what it's like to be called Daddy and the sweetness in that and the, the affection that's communicated in that. A, a, a teenager that's mad at you doesn't tend to call you Daddy. Uh, they call you other things. But, uh, <laughs> but the one that's calling you Daddy is one that wants to be with you and delights in your presence. And, and so the Spirit gives us this longing for God. And that's not natural. I hear folks say way too many times, everybody in the world has this longing for God. And I'm like, no, they don't. <laughs> like, the Bible doesn't say they do. My observation isn't that they do. That's not natural, this longing for God. That's spirit given. He gives us that desire. He gives us that heart to cry, Abba. And then thirdly, the spirit leads us to pray. What to pray? How to pray. He leads us through the scriptures, which he inspires but he also leads us more directly as we pray, working in and with our spirit. Romans 8, 26. Who has that? Right. So we, we put this together and we see that New Testament prayer is prayer made to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. Okay? And the goal of our access, this is our third preposition there, is to the Father. The goal is to get to the Father, to know Him, to love Him, to commune with Him. Reconciliation is an event. Access is the ongoing relationship that we have with Him. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Okay, and the purpose clause in that phrase is that he might bring us to God. That's what it's all about. The death of Christ tears down the barrier. Then it's like the barrier between you and God is, is done away with. Now let me introduce you to my Father, whom is also ready to be your Father. And that's the gospel. That's incredible. Yeah. Mediates for us between us and the Father. Absolutely. And you talk about your Roman Catholic view. They think they think you need two mediators: one your local congregational priest, and then the priest would have to mediate Christ and Christ to the Father. And yeah, maybe the priest needs to go to Mary to get to Jesus because he doesn't relate very well. And so there, there there could be multiple ones. But this is a this is a great distinctive of New Testament religion. That God is our Father. I mean, how cool and awesome and wonderful is that? Behold how great a love that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. Now, one thing I hear a lot among evangelicals as we pray together, and and as I'm around certain brothers and sisters, I find that there tends to be uh, folks whose prayer life seems to focus and seems to connect only with Jesus. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about here. People that, it's, it's, it's dear Jesus, and Jesus this, and, and there, there seems to be no real uh, awareness or uh, alertness to, to the Father, no real relationship with God uh, the Father. And yes, Jesus is a divine person. Jesus can be the, the one to whom we direct our prayers and our worship. Uh, 
But, dear friends, as we read the New Testament, prayer is typically, in fact, in almost every case, prayers are directed towards whom? Towards God the Father. Paul says, I bow my knees to the Father. Jesus, when he taught us to pray, the first words were what? Our Father. Father. Okay. That That is New Testament prayer. And the Spirit enters our heart crying, Dear Jesus, no, (laughs) Abba, Father. And that's important. The Father image brings us some important perspectives on prayer. I think think sometimes the Jesus image, uh, you know, we come to think of him as as buddy all the time, but the Father reminds us that he's boss, there's order, there's discipline, as well as that that sweet filial relationship. If you could imagine a a scene that you're sitting in in an office waiting to meet with a busy executive, and as you're waiting to meet with this busy, high-powered executive, a little boy runs in to the office in front of you and past everybody else and right past the secretary into the executive's office. And what would you think if you saw that scene? You would figure, this must be his boy because nobody else is going to get past that mean-looking secretary <laughs> you know, to get to his office. We understand that is the, that is the access that a child has to a father. Now, that's a physical access as represented in that illustration. What do we mean when we talk about a spiritual access? Well, we talk about fellowship. And the essence of fellowship is communication. Communica- if you have fellowship with somebody, you're, you're communicating. You're talking. And so communication with God we refer to as prayer. Okay. So this access is precisely to make us people who pray. And our sonship, our adoption as children of God is the very basis for our prayers as Christians. Our Father who art in heaven. Why did Jesus say we're to expect results in our praying? Because who are we praying to? To a father. When you go to your good fathers, don't give a stone when they're asked for a fish, do they? Uh, So that's the basis for our expectation that God is our Father. And, and as we see this, as we grasp who we're praying to, we're praying to a Father, I think we'll experience more freedom in our prayer. There's no concern to impress God. There will be more delight, more joy, more heart sharing. And where, I, where the doctrine of adoption is little known, and here again I do think of Roman Catholic, Catholic religion, where the doctrine of adoption is little known, prayers and, in fact, worship tends to become just pure, dry, rote, and ritual with very little heart. Dignity maybe, but no childlike expressions, no delight and joy in our praise and in our prayers. Someone made the distinction between saying prayers, which anybody can do, and really praying. You know, am I praying or simply saying a prayer? And you can, you can and it's not a question of... of uh, spontaneous or written prayers. You can, you can pray the written prayers and you can just say spontaneous prayers. The issue is, are you communing with the Father as you offer those to the Lord? Well, what's our application of all of this? Well, the application is in Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 22, which say, <laughs> Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, he's the way, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, his flesh. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us, what's the next verses, next words, let us draw near. 
a new relationship has been established for us. Been to a wedding recently? <laughs> you have, right? Okay. Niece got married. Where was this? Austin, Texas. Okay. Uh, if they're doing weddings right, <laughs> then that wedding day, that, that I now pronounce you man and wife, establishes a new relationship and it gives them access to new intimacy, new joys, new delights. And a couple that understands that and gets that, what are they doing next? They're looking to take advantage of that new relationship quickly and often. The application to us here is God has brought us into a new relationship to Him. Let's, let's run towards Him in intimacy. Draw near to the Father. You think of adopted kids. <laughs> you can imagine, anybody here adoptive parents? You've adopted children? I mean, you can imagine maybe adopting two children uh, from the same, you know, maybe the same family, you dropped a couple of boys, and they come into your home. And you love on them, and you tell them you're their mommy and daddy now, and you, this is your house and your food, and all of this, all that we have is yours. And one child gets it, is thrilled by it, responds with affection, runs to you and embraces you as mommy and daddy, and delights in all they've been given. But the other child, reserved, holds back, not sure, remains fearful. What's the difference? Is one less adopted than the other? No. But one of them somehow has grasped, has grasped what that adoption means for their lives and is enjoying it to its full. How would you as a parent feel about those two children? I mean, I expect with the the one that's so reluctant, you'd want to kind of shake them up and say, don't you get it? Don't you understand? You're ours now. You're loved. You're free. At the same time, you'd probably feel more delight in the affection of that other child as well. Not too different with our Father in heaven. He wants to shake us up and tell us who we are as his adopted sons and daughters. And he finds great delight when we embrace and and bask and delight our souls in that relationship we've been given with him. So we have access as children of the living God. So let's draw near. And we're going to have prayer time now? Okay. Thank you, Dan. Thank you.